Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We're back here with episode nine. I'm your host, Kyle Creasy, and I'm here with my co-host, Tommy Smith. And today, we just wanted to react to the Game 7s from the second round, as well as kind of give you guys an Eastern Conference Finals preview and a Western Conference Finals preview. Um, we also want to talk about the draft lottery a little bit, but this episode won't be anything crazy long, but we just wanted to hop on and give you guys a little overview of these series um, before they start tonight. And we also are going to talk about the lottery, like I said, since that's tonight as well. Huge, huge deal for a lot of teams looking to improve their future. So, uh, yeah, but before we get to all that, we also just want to mention that we have another additional episode dropping later in this week. So, as you guys know, we try to upload weekly which we had the little tiny hiatus before last episode, but we are going to be giving you weekly episodes, especially during the summer. But um, we're going to give you two this week because uh, we had a little idea where we wanted to kind of give you guys kind of like a Q&A or like a mailbag episode. So our hope is on either Thursday or Friday um, that we will be able to drop you guys a Q&A episode. Um, we have obviously talked to a lot of you that listen to the podcast, um, and we've t- pretty, we just told you, send us whatever questions you may have. could be anything in the basketball realm, and in the NBA realm, of course. And, um, and we've gotten a good amount of questions, so we've got all those on our notes for, uh, this, for the Q&A podcast later in the week, and we're going to be answering all those. Um, if you have any more questions that you'd maybe want, please send them to us ASAP. And if you send them to us ASAP, we'll try to get them in. If you are a listener of the podcast that doesn't really know us very well, um, feel free to direct message me personally on Instagram at Creasy Kyle, C-R-E-A-S-Y-K-Y-L-E, or on Twitter at NCreasy02, N-C-R-E-A-S-Y-02. So, we're excited for that one. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. But moving along to today's episode, going first, we just wanted to react to both Game 7s from Sunday night. Um, they were both blowouts, but I think that I can speak for the both of us to say that they were still entertaining. Would you agree with that, Tommy? Oh, yeah, big time. Big time. Yeah, and, you know um, – the outcomes of the series were personally the outcomes that I had expected and predicted. I had the Celtics winning. I had the Mavericks winning. Um, as you guys know that have listened, that was my finals matchup um, for the playoffs. But I'd be lying to you if I said I expected them to turn out like they did in this game seven. Um, so first we want to talk about the Celtics Bucks. Uh just have to mention and shout out first to Grant Williams, the Grant Williams game. Um, he finished the game with 27 points with seven three-pointers made, which tied the game seven record for most threes in a game seven. And he, that record is shared with Steph Curry, who did it twice and Marcus Morris. And um, just a phenomenal performance from him. And, You know, for someone that really struggled shooting the ball from, like, games two through six, it was just good to see him still catch and shoot confidently and feel good enough because that is ultimately what probably propelled them in that game. And just a a great playoff so far for Grant. 
um, been really good, really, really good defensively, and uh, just a smart player. And although the shots weren't falling, you know, him being able to be that consistent shooter all season long ultimately gave Boston some more spacing. That probably created some things for Tatum and Brown throughout the series. So shout out to Grant Williams. Tommy, you want to touch on anything on Grant or his performance in the playoffs so far? Yeah, I just want to like kind of like stress the home crowd gives these role players like Grant Williams the confidence to to really do this. And it was just awesome to see, to be completely honest. Being yeah, a yeah. Tennessee guy, he went to Tennessee. I'm not a Tennessee fan, but it's good to see those guys do well. Yeah, and um, you know, I think that that's a that's a big point right there, the home court thing. And I think that it's worth mentioning that Milwaukee could have had home court in this series. And, you know, the last game of the regular season, they ultimately chose to dodge the Brooklyn Nets. They can word it however they want to. I don't blame them for doing so. But you do that at a risk. And that risk was that Boston got to have home court in this series. And it paid huge dividends, especially in game seven, to have a performance like this from a role player like Grant Williams. Yeah. Um, the Celtics, you know, obviously Milwaukee had a great game one, um, had a great game three as well, went up 2-1 with game four on their home floor. Um, it looked like it could have been some potential dangerous territory for the Boston Celtics. Um, but Udoka, like we mentioned on last podcast, was able to find something in the fourth quarter that – was phenomenal for the team. And that was he ran Jason Tatum at the four and put Al Horford at the five. And they were just running. It was, I don't, I can't call it four guards, like I said on the last episode, because Tatum really is a forward. But Tatum at the four and some combination of, well, Brown and Smart were always in, in this lineup. And then either Derek White or Peyton Pritchard. Small spurts for Pritchard throughout the series, but a lot of big spurts with Derek White with that group. And what that, that, what that was able to do was just open up the floor and make Boston such a more dynamic offense. Because when you have a defense like the Bucks do, both schematically and personnel, they're huge and they like to pack the paint. And so what this was able to do, especially early on in the series with guys like Giannis and Brooke Lopez that were such a force in the interior – as well as having a guy like Bobby Portis even play a lot of minutes at a three, who's as big as he is. Um, you know, it made life tough on Boston because when you played a traditional four and five, the spacing was a little bit more clunkier and you didn't have another ball handler or another creator. Well, when they ran these lineups, it was so free on offense and they, they had four guys and Horford could too, to an extent, almost five that really could put the ball on the floor and make a play as well as, as well as effectively, even if they weren't hitting the shots, it had to be respected, which pulled out like a Giannis or a Brooke Lopez. And so ever since that point, Boston truly dominated the series. Um, I know they lost game five to go down three to two, but that was a disastrous collapse by them in the last minute and a half, two minutes, you know, Marcus Smart, He's been great. He had a very, very poor ending to that game, and he completely made up for it. But from that point on, Boston dominated the series. So I don't think that the whole it went to seven games really tells the whole story. Um, uh, you know, Udoka just proving once again how elite he is 
any thoughts on Udoka or how well those lineups work? No, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he, he's definitely really impressive, and they really did make the the right move when they moved uh, Brad Stevens up up front or up top and got Udoka really because um, it's just awesome to see. Awesome to see. Um, I agree. Ever since that game four, it was dominant. Um, I actually texted Kyle um, after Drew Holiday did that to Marcus Smart and let him know what I thought about that. But um, I'm really impressed by this Boston Celtics team. It's going to make my pick um, that I picked from the start of the podcast a little bit harder to, you know, go with my gut like he did for our other series. Yeah. Um, and, you know, great series for them, great series for Yudoka. Now to the Bucks side of things. Um, you know, Giannis, the, the Celtics did a great job on Giannis. And although they didn't necessarily shut him down like they did with KD and Kyrie overall, they did really make him struggle. And, um, you know, for a guy that gets as many looks at the rim as he does and as, a, as much of a physical force as he is, to hold a guy like that under 50% shooting is extremely impressive. It's and that's without even considering the lack of how they the lack of time that they were able to actually have Robert Williams, who was arguably their best defender on Giannis in this series. And so just impressive stuff from Boston. But you know, Giannis, good series overall, having to do a lot with Chris Middleton out. Um, you know good game seven, but poor second half. He's better than that. Um, he came out He came out playing really, really well. I think he had like 14, eight, and six in the first quarter. He finished the game with 25, 20, and nine, which was a, it's a really, really good performance. But it's just second half was poor from him. A lot of, a lot of misses around the rim that weren't really being altered. It was a lot of him just kind of, I don't know if he was going too fast, playing for the foul. Uh, but not a great second half performance. Um, but I'm not going to hold that against him too much. And I, I think it's, I think I'm safe in saying that you probably aren't either. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously Middleton being out was huge for this team. Um, you know, it didn't affect them a whole lot in the sense of like, we've talked, we talked about it on the last pod, but they're obviously a better team with Chris Middleton. But I think that the way Boston plays defense, if the ball's in Middleton's hands more, the way Boston plays and how good of one-on-one defenders they are, it would have been tough for Middleton. But where 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 having Middleton would have been really nice is um, when Giannis is off the floor, because I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I know it was pretty deep into the minus while Giannis is on the floor. And you don't expect to necessarily win all those minutes, but it could have been better than it was. and. Uh, Middleton would have helped tremendously for that. But also closing games. And, you know, going back to last year's playoffs, the best offensive option was Giannis would set the screen and Chris Middleton would be the ball handler. And it was a little two-man game of Giannis and Chris. And that last playoffs was – amazing and they just didn't have that and so for them not to be able to go to what was their best offensive option from last year's postseason championship run in this postseason was just tough for them in what ended up being a lot of kind of tighter games or whatever uh throughout the entire series 
So, you know, him out, that was tough. Uh, I thought Drew Holiday was, was good, um, but the Boston did do a really good job on him. The biggest thing for Milwaukee, because I'm not – and before, before I get into what I'm about to say, I'll have you agree or disagree. I'm not concerned for Milwaukee, like, going into next season. No, yeah, I'm not either. Definitely not. Um, you know, with Middleton coming back. But the one thing that I will be concerned for them is if there's one thing that I think Milwaukee's regretting right now, it was trading Dante DiVincenzo for Serge Ibaka. And it's not, it's not necessarily because Serge isn't good. Serge is a good player. Serge can help you. But they made that trade – in, in fear of Brooke Lopez being out the entire, the entire season. And what that resulted in is Brooke Lopez did come back, and so they didn't have a need for surge, but they did have a need for some better wing, better wing play. And DiVincenzo would have most definitely helped in that aspect. Um, and so – they're going to have to make some kind of move around the edges or go find another mid-level guy uh, as a two-way wing. We'll see. It is kind of – has to be disheartening to them as well that they won a championship and weren't willing to pay more of a luxury tax bill, so they let P.J. Tucker walk. But, yeah, I mean, what, what's, what's your – I know you're not concerned because you just said you're not, but what would be your thought process for your Milwaukee this, uh, this offseason? Definitely going to get another wing type player and get somebody to play those Grayson Allen minutes, please. Yeah, um, very rough series for Grayson Allen. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree. Very rough. That's... But um, I just wanted to say that Celtics did this without Robert Williams. Oh, yeah. The majority yeah. of the series, no Robert Williams. And I think if they have – have Robert Williams that this does not go seven games. I, I would agree. It, it really shouldn't have went seven anyway. Yeah. It is what it is. They made it out alive. Um, but that's enough for that one. Not too concerned for the Bucks' future. Celtics are moving on. To the other one that really needs a lot of discussion, Mavericks versus the Suns. I, I was truly speechless. While the game was going on, and after, and even yesterday, even today to an extent, speechless. Like, Luka Doncic is not from this planet. And, you know, I, on last pod, I, I knew that I prematurely said it, and it's not just because of Luka, it's because of a few others as well, calling Giannis the best player in the NBA. And I'm not saying he isn't. Maybe he is. But that is just disrespectful, and I want to apologize for that. Because of how certain guys like Luca are playing, like Jason Tatum is playing, like Jimmy Butler is playing right now. I'm not saying that I necessarily have Jimmy especially included in that category, but just like what he's doing right now, it's, it's, it's disrespectful to have those conversations until everything is over. And so what Luca is doing right now is just insane. Um, he's now played in four elimination games in his short career so far. And he's averaging 38.3 points per game in those elimination games. And let's be real, it probably it was at 39 before this last one. It probably would have been up in the 40s. He had 35 through three quarters. He did not play the fourth quarter because they were 40-piecing Phoenix. <laughs> so, um, 
you know, he had 27 in the first half tied with Phoenix as a team. Um, to go up 30 and get his 27th point, he took the little snatch back top of the key three and made Cam Johnson fall. Um, I'm going to be honest. At that point, I was sitting there thinking, this is over. Like, this series is over. And it was just – it's still – I'm still just speechless on it all. Uh, thoughts on Luca and this series. And before you go real quick, I just want to say, I think I think people that pay attention really closely already had Luca in their top five, maybe even top three. I don't know. It just depends on the person, but top five for sure. So it's not like it's not like a wake up call or a breakout series to that group of us that really pays attention. But I think to the general population, like the casual population that just likes to tune in playoff time, I think this was the breakout series. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I can't can't disagree with it. But um, I'm just, I guess, disappointed in the way that the Suns came out. Um, and and I'll we will we will get to that, but I just I just I want to do nothing but praise the Dallas Mavericks right now. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. I can do that. Um, Luca was just insane, but I mean, I we saw this coming a a long time ago. Like if we we Kyle said it, if Luca gets healthy, this this playoffs completely turns around. You have to take account for Luca because he is a top five player in the world. And he was just incredible the last two games, to be completely honest. He was out of this world, really like an he's an alien, in my in my humble opinion. He's an alien. Yeah, and you know, not uh, and as 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 great as he is, the rest of the entire Mavericks organization deserves so much credit as well. Because, you know, Jason Kidd, a guy that I really didn't know how this year was gonna go with him at the helm. But he's proven that he's become a very good head coach in this league now. And I think part of that is his first coaching jobs were with like the Nets and the Bucks, but that was straight out of the league. I mean, the man had no real experience on a staff. He, he'd not, I mean, just cause you play in the league doesn't mean that you're going to translate to immediately be some great head coach. Could you maybe, but probably, probably not. Okay. So now after he got done with those head coaching jobs, and nobody else wanted him as a head coach, he still wanted to be in the coaching world. So he went and found his way, found his niche as an assistant for different teams, um, the Lakers most notably. And, you know, he's clearly learned how to become a successful head coach in this league now. And he's clearly he was clearly ready for the job. And so he, he deserves all the credit in the world because of how great of a defense he's led and – and kind of maintaining this same high-profile offense that Carlisle had while he was in Dallas. So, yeah, all the credit to him. Jalen Brunson, after a, after a poor first two games, an incredible way to finish the series in the last five. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, kind of an on-and-off series, but really showed up whenever they needed him, and especially in game seven, had 30. Um, Maxi Claybook, can't praise the guy enough. Um, and and I, I did that on last pod as well, just because of he really lets that team go to the next level on both ends because of his floor spacing and his um and his defensive versatility as well. 
And, you know, guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock didn't necessarily shine offensively in game seven, but they've hit big shots. They hit big shots throughout the whole series. And they also couldn't have been better defensively one-on-one with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And, um, you know, just just wanted to touch on all those guys. Um, Davis Bertans as well just continued to come in and be a floor spacer and give them kind of like a little boost sometimes. Just like I said last part, just a complete flamethrower in this series overall. So, I mean, yeah, and they went down 0-2. And this is just another praise for Jason Kidd. They go down 0-2. They go home. Jason Kidd makes the adjustments that we touched on in last podcast. And, you know, they go and win games three and four. And then they kind of have like a stinker in game five in Phoenix. They just respond beautifully, just 30-piecing Phoenix in game six and seven. And I think that one thing that was very telling to me, and I was concerned about Phoenix going into game seven specifically, was before that game, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, and Cam Johnson had all never once played in a game seven. Last year's playoff run, Suns won the first round in six versus the Lakers, won the second round in four versus Denver, won the conference finals over the Clippers in six, and then won and then lost in the finals in six games to the Bucks. So they hadn't this core had not played in a game seven yet, and those four had never played in a game seven at all. This Dallas team, on the other hand, for the, for the most part, were all a part of that team that played the Clippers on the road in game seven last year in a game that really went to the end. The Clippers kind of pulled away in the fourth quarter, but the game was all back and forth until about eight, nine minutes left in the game. And the experience matters. And this Dallas team looked like a team that had been tested and had to fight in a game seven before. You could tell – that some of these guys for Phoenix were a deer in headlights. Yeah. Just, so just wanted to praise Dallas first, because although I do think Phoenix deserves a lot of criticism and we're going to get to that right now, uh, Dallas deserves all the credit in the world. Um, now moving on. Absolutely embarrassing for the Phoenix Suns. Just embarrassing. And my first point that I want to bring up is that this team needed to be humbled. And I personally thought that they were humbled because last year in the finals, they go up 2-0 and then they lose four in a row. So you would think at that point, this team is on a mission and they looked like it all season long. Best team in the league in the regular season had an eight game, like a seven or eight game lead on the second, on the second best record. Uh, winning by like a average, probably winning every game, you know, somewhere in the realm of like 10 to 12 points. Like they were winning in good fashion. Um, there were big, there were jumps from Mikel Bridges, jumps from, there was a jump from DeAndre Ayton. Um, even Devin Booker had a jump. Cam Johnson had a jump. Like campaign was carrying over his playoff success from last year into the entire regular season. Um, it just, things were looking great for the Suns. And then in the playoffs, obviously in the first round, you know, they were – game one was game one or whatever, and then Booker got hurt in game two while he's going off. But they get the job done, even without Booker for the majority of the series. Well, then they win game one. 
I didn't really see much of an issue. Game two. They win. They win in big fashion. And post-game presser. Because in that game, too, they attacked Luka a lot. And in the post-game presser, they kind of, like, laughed and were, like, snickering. Like, as Luka as – they, as they brought up Luka's name and how they were hunting him and stuff. And clearly has come back to bite them. And, um, you know, just some other things with it. You're the – you were the best team. You were the number one overall seed. You had home court advantage. You went up 2-0, and you lost four out of five. And game six and game seven were by 30-plus. I also just want to mention that – well, before I get into that, what what do you have to say about Phoenix and this collapse? I'm just, like, embarrassed for them. This isn't the – this isn't the – same the the team that I watched the last two games is not the team that won sixty four games. They were flat, um, and it's just really embarrassing. You can't you cannot say oh the best two words in sports game seven and then come out and play like they did. It's embarrassing. It truly is. And you know, just another thing about being humbled is Devin Booker. Um, he he gets a foul call in game five. And he kind of like lays on the floor as if he was like flopping or whatever and makes the comment of the Luca special. No, brother, the Luca special was 35 on your head with a 30 piece in game seven. And I think Luca is going to go down with one of an all time quote as they go down 3 2 and he's walking to the locker room and he says something along the lines of like, it's really easy to talk while you're up. And it's just it was awesome to see a player bounce back after that, and now I just kind of want to pose a question of what I want to talk about CP3 first. Horrible playoffs overall. Um, a good three or four games. I don't remember if it was three or four. I don't like have it right in front of me, but honestly, aside from that, they played 13 games total. Those other eight or nine were bad. I mean, bad. And I, that's concerning. He's going to be 37 years old. He's a six-foot point guard, and he's making $30 million next year. I am genuinely concerned about that if I'm the Phoenix Suns. You? Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. He, 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 he's been awful. I mean, he looked good in the regular season. It's just like – Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one day – one day it just like clicked, and then he what he was not the same. And I don't know what's going on with him, but he is getting old. And these things happen to your body when you get old, um, where you're not the same as you, as you were. Um, and I don't think that he will get back to the form that he was he was in even at the start of this season. Yeah. So Chris Paul is now. Uh, he has now been a part of five teams that have went up 2-0 in a series and ended up losing the series. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And I had a conversation with a friend, and the conversation was, as great as Chris Paul is, I think that that's telling in the sense that the first game or two, teams are going at it, you're realizing what works, what doesn't work. 
and then game three is huge because you have two you have two games of body of work to look at and your adjustments are made there like like your big your bigger time adjustments and something's to be said there that he is clearly notorious for not playing as well once those heavy adjustments are made and yeah. He's just horrible defensively too. Like, as much as they wanted to hunt Luca, it's like Luca was hunting everyone that was hunting him. Oh yeah, at this point in his career, I mean, Chris Paul overall in his entire career, good defender, great off the ball and team defender, solid on the ball, but he he really is a below average defender at this point in his career, especially on the ball. I think he's still a good like team defender and 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 uh, off the ball defender, but. It, it's way too much to ask at this point, clearly, for him to guard a all-star caliber player um, out on the perimeter. So, yeah, uh, I also just wanted to mention that something that did not sit well with me was the report of him having a hamstring injury after they got beat. And I'm not buying it. And the reason I'm not buying it is if your hamstring was hurting and you had an injury – why were you in in the second half down 45 trying to get some shots up to make your stat line look better? Why? If you were really hurt, why were you in a game where you were down 45 in the second half? Yep. You weren't. Let's just be real. Nobody's, nobody's perfect 100% at this point in the season. Everybody's dealing with something. Okay? You don't have a real hamstring injury if you're in a game down 45 just trying to get yours. So that that rubbed me the wrong way that that that, that was a report that came out. Um, yep, and my eye test is good, and your eye test is good too. And he did not look hurt. No, he didn't. I mean, there's obviously that that's a, that is a that is perfect. I'm I'm so glad you said that because that's part of it too. Somebody may have something going on, but man, if you look good and play good, let's like for instance, Donovan Mitchell in the second round of the playoffs last year had an ankle injury. I mean, yeah, all kinds of guys are probably dealing with an ankle injury. Donovan Mitchell, I'm not saying Chris Paul came out and complained about it, but Donovan Mitchell didn't come out and complain. Donovan Mitchell was averaging 33 points in that series. Like, you know, like, I just that, – that bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, and second off, DeAndre Aiden. Man, have I been ready for this one. And I have been ready for this one, and you know why. DeAndre Aiden asked for a max contract at the beginning of the season. I feel like I was somewhat in the minority that was like, heck no, you aren't a max player. Like, is he a really good player? Uh, yes, yes, I believe so. Could he maybe be an all-star at some point? Of course. Are you a max player? No, sir, not even close, okay? And, you know, for me, it's like you can't ask to be a max contract player, he had a good regular season, and then come out and do what you did in the playoffs. Yeah, just – oh, very irritating. And to see that video of him – so what's even crazier here, he, he only played 17 minutes in game seven, okay? Um, and he actually was on the bench, and there's a clip of him, and there's no telling what the conversation was, but you can tell that he's looking at Monty Williams and saying, I can't score because they won't give me the ball. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just think that that's probably showing some tension that's probably been built up for a while now. 
And Monty Williams was asked about why he only played him 17 minutes, and he said that it was internal. Well, yeah. It looked like to me that DeAndre Ayton quit on the team, basically. I mean, you, yeah, they weren't, you, they weren't passing you ball. You didn't score. You grabbed four rebounds. You are seven foot tall. Like, I don't understand the only, that. The only real big man on the floor in this series. But, well, on, like, at a given point. Obviously, JaVale McGee and Biombo played, but they never were going to double up with Aiden. So, Aiden was really the only real traditional big man on the floor whenever he was in. Yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing. That I think I I think I at the beginning of the season thought that he did deserve a max, and he boy did he prove me wrong. Boy <laughs> did you and he prove me wrong because I am oh <laughs> that is he if any team pays him yeah no never mind yeah Truth, truthfully what made me think the opposite direction was because I think he had a really good postseason up until game three of the finals last year. And Milwaukee started pulling him out on the perimeter more. And they also started kind of like staying home on him. Like they weren't like shading or bringing a double, which is exactly what Dallas did. They played him one-on-one. And it I don't know what it is. He's like uncomfortable. He hit somebody as skilled as he is with his size. If he gets to play one-on-one the whole game with no traditional big man guarding him, he should have averaged an easy – easy 25 in that series but he didn't (laughs) and um you know and so Milwaukee did that and those four games those last four games just kind of made me very speculative about it and to his credit I understand why he asked for a max before the season because Michael Porter Jr. got the extension because Trey Young and Shea Gillis Alexander and Luca got it Obviously, deservedly so to all three of them, okay? But then Michael Porter Jr. got it, and so Aiton wanted it. I get why he wanted it, but I never thought he was worth it. And for him to ask for that and be frustrated that he didn't get it, um, yeah, you can't complain, brother, because you just played terrible. Um, Some things that have picked up are that there was – and I totally forgot about this – was that the Pacers and the Suns were actually in some soft conversations uh, along the trade deadline. Nothing ever got serious, but it was t- it was a talk about a Sabonis for Aiton trade. And uh, it never actually went through, obviously, and that's not a thing anymore. But it will be interesting to see what teams have some interest in DeAndre Aiton. I do think that the Thunder are a real, are a real team to watch here for DeAndre Aiton. Um, maybe the Hornets as well. Um, any team that you may keep an eye on? Uh, no, not, I'm not too interested in Aiton, but the teams that you said sounded very, I mean, realistic. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, we'll see. There's all kinds of options potentially, but those would be the two I would watch. Um, I also hope he does not expect a max this offseason because he's delusional if he does. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe somebody gives him one. If they do, I highly disagree with it. But it's whatever. Big offseason incoming for Phoenix. Um, now, moving forward, we have two series. One starts tonight. One starts tomorrow. Tonight, the Eastern Conference Finals begin. So we will start with that one. 
Heat versus Celtics. So, first of all, Kyle Lowry is out for game one, and I have no idea what his timetable might be. Um, Robert Williams is available to play. No restrictions will be there. Um, he actually was available for game seven of the Bucks series, but Udoka just pretty much said he didn't want to screw with their rotations that they'd been running for the majority of the series and, w- and what had worked really well against Milwaukee, which makes total sense. And um, so Rob will be back. Um, are you concerned for Miami with, with the loss of Lowry? Uh, not really. Cause they do like, they, Spo does a good job of game, like game planning without like when Lowry was hurt before or Lowry's out before he did a good job, good, had a good game plan without Lowry incorporated into their, into their game. So I think that, I mean, Spoh's one of the best in the game, so I, I, I'm not worried. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think I agree. Obviously, Lowry's a plus, but um, when he came back in that Philly series, he was, for that one game or whatever, he, he was clearly nothing close to 100%. And obviously not to the same magnitude because John Moran's a superstar, but, like, in the same, in the same way as, like, your team's starting point guard is out, but you have enough of a sample size that you've played without him – to where others feel comfortable in this setting playing in that spot. Gabe Vincent is what I'm getting at here. I think you can trust Gabe Vincent enough to just be solid in that role because he's proven to do it in both the regular season and in these playoffs so far. So I'm not super, super concerned about Lowry being out, although he is a plus in my opinion with this team. Um, Rob Williams, being back full force is huge for Boston. Um, the Heat do have home court, and the Heat have had some days rest now, whereas Boston played on Sunday, had to hop straight on a flight to Miami. The exhaustion is probably still there a little bit. Um, I think that the biggest thing for this series is – well, actually, no, I don't. But I think it's the second biggest thing in this series is – the Jimmy Butler versus Jason Tatum battle. And for me, I genuinely think that whichever one outplays the other, there's probably a 90% shot that that one's team is winning the series. And when I say that, I don't mean like in a, I don't mean them two in the one-on-one matchup. I just simply mean whichever one outplays the other. And I, you guys are – I'll go ahead and give my prediction, but I just because I have to say it to get this point across. I have the Celtics winning in six. Um, but I think Jimmy has to be another level above Tatum in this series for Miami to actually win. And whether that means Tatum plays great and Jimmy just plays phenomenal or if Tatum – or if Jimmy is able to make Tatum struggle and play really well, I just think something has to go their way there. Um, what do you what do you think about this Jimmy versus Tatum duel? It's going to be battle there. So two of the top three people in this playoffs to me so far. Um, or we'll say top four to be safe. Yeah, top four to be safe. Um, to but, full respect to Luca and Giannis. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Full respect to my boy. But um, I completely agree. It's whoever outplays the other. 
is gonna is gonna get the win. And where I like what I'm going with is I'm gonna go with the Heat. Okay. Jimmy but yeah, Jimmy Butler has been just phenomenal. And I think that they can they can I mean they're gonna they're gonna be guarding each other for a large portion or Jimmy's gonna be guarding Tatum for a large portion of this game. I think it's vice versa as well. Yeah. And I just think that he gives them more trouble than Tatum's had all playoffs. Which I, I think I would agree with. Yep. And I'm just I, – I think that in, Jimmy – In the same sentence, I would say Tatum is going to give Jimmy more trouble than he's had to even come close to dealing with. Him. Yep, and I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. But I just think that Jimmy, the way that we've – the way we've seen him trending does unlock that another, uh, other level this series. Fair. Yeah, so – and I mean, to our listeners, yeah, it might sound so obvious and simple. Oh, whichever best, whichever team's best player plays well is going to have an advantage. But I think it's that important to this series specifically. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, another huge thing I think is Spo versus Udoka. Uh, I don't expect one to necessarily severely outcoach the other. I think it's going to be some great game of chess, and it's really going to be – you know, who's a step ahead. And game one will be interesting. I'm not going to judge my series too hard on game one because there's no telling what these two are planning on throwing at each other. And so it may completely blindside <laughs> uh, the other one. But um, I- I'm excited to watch that one. Two of the best X's and O's guys in the entire league. Um, one thing I do want to mention is that these two teams are by far – the top two switch-heavy defenses in the NBA. So I think that this series is going to be extremely gritty in terms of, like, getting a bucket because you have on both sides – there are going to be times where on the floor, for instance, the Celtics may have, like, a lineup of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, and Robert Williams, and the Heat are playing a lineup of, like, Gabe Vincent – Max Struess, Jimmy Butler, um, P.J. Tucker, and Bam Adebayo, and maybe Oladipo has one of the guard spots. But I say those lineups to say that's a, that's, that's a situation where on both sides every team can switch everything and an above-average defender is guarding you. And that's just crazy to think about that two teams could be battling it out like that. But it is going to be extremely, extremely gritty in terms of getting a bucket. So – I'm excited to see that. Um, now, my biggest thing with this series, I originally thought that Max Struess was my X Factor. And I was talking, I know you, if you guys remember Angel that came on as our, uh, we had Angel on to talk about the first round matchups of the playoffs. Angel's a big Miami Heat fan. So I, I was talking with Angel. And um, my original thoughts were that Max Struess was the X Factor. But I don't think that anymore. Um, you know, I think Struess has played well enough, and I trust Struess to keep playing well. Um, my X Factor is Tyler Hero, the overall series X Factor. And he wasn't super good overall against Philly. He was good in the Hawks series, but nothing crazy. And then, like I said, he wasn't – he was probably a little underwhelming in the Philly series overall. But there's a chance that Tyler Hero is a liability on both ends in this series. And what I mean by that is obviously defensively, 
And here's going to be the struggle with Tyler Hero in this series. Tyler Hero does not need to be in a position to guard one of these guys one-on-one. There's all kinds of times where if it's Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, that's that's the worst-case scenario possible if Tyler Hero is guarding one of them, okay? If it's Marcus Smart, can go off the dribble, good playmaker, has a has a decent enough scoring ability to where it is it is tough. It is going to be tough for Hero to guard him. Derek White can beat him off the dribble to be able to make good plays. Peyton Pritchard can beat him off the dribble to be able to make good plays or score the ball. Um, Al Horford can dribble by him or dribble and post or get him sealed in the post. And then Rob Williams could get him involved in dribble handoff actions or in ball screen actions and could seal him off. Like, I just think it's going to be a lot to ask of Tyler Hero. Now, the the immediate counter argument would be, okay, well, look what they did against Philly. When Tyler Hero is in, they incorporate a lot of zone. Well, here's where I'm scared for the heat in that scenario. The Boston Celtics just played a Milwaukee defense that packs the paint like crazy. Boston just severely outshot Milwaukee from three. And was take they were shooting at a ridiculous clip from three in that series. If you play a zone defense, you're going to kind of be giving up the same things. A lot of looks from three. And I don't think that you can afford that against a team that's shooting as well from three as Boston is right now. Uh, any do you have anything to put on to that defensively for Tyler Hero or any concerns you might have, or do you think he might be able to capitalize in an area that I didn't mention? Which no, I completely agree with you. Um, I think that Boston's going to force them to play man. And with Miami being so switch heavy that I think Tyler, he's going to get hunted and he's going to get exposed this series, uh, especially wow. or defensively. Offensively, um, this, is a, this is a beast that you have not seen yet. The Boston <laughs> Celtics are the best defensive team in the league. 100%. They are going to in my humble opinion, eat this man alive. And that's where I was getting at on the offensive end of things is if you're a Heat fan or if you're pro-Heat in this series, you're probably optimistic on Tyler Hero performing well. You'd have to be. I mean, right? Yeah. The thing for me is we've seen this Boston defense shut down Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. We've seen this Boston defense now give the most dominant player in the last 20 years, not best player, most dominant in Giannis, a really, really tough time, and even gave Drew Holiday a really, really tough time. I just don't know why I should personally believe that they won't have Tyler Hero in jail in the same way that they did a guy like Kyrie Irving. I really don't know why I should be optimistic in that sense for Tyler Hero. Yep, 100%. And just Boston's personnel for him, switching everything just like Miami will too. But um, I I just find it hard to believe that Tyler Hero has a very successful series because of that. And that's my huge thing because I think he's the X factor, and that's why I have the Boston Celtics um, winning this series. Now, another thing I wanted to point out, Bam Adebayo, I saw a – I saw I actually saw somebody from Heat Twitter put this. Bam is by far the best center in the playoffs remaining. But he's going to have to tell himself that and make himself believe that 
for this Heat team to have a chance. And he's going to have to step up offensively. Now, he was really good whenever these two teams faced off in 2020 in the bubble, but Rob Williams had not made this ascension yet. Al Horford was not on that team. Um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have become better players since then. Um, and there was no Kimball Walker. There's no Kimball Walker to pick on anymore. Um, it's just a way different Celtics team. So he's going to have to be aggressive. He's more than capable of having a very good series, but uh, he's going to have to actually do it for Miami to have a chance because I already think Tyler Hero is going to struggle. And in my opinion, if Bam is struggling, this could get ugly quick. Yep. Um, and even if the Celtic – and the reason I say that is even if the Celtics are struggling a little bit offensively, they have enough weapons to be able to at least still score the ball effectively. Outside of Jimmy is my continued concern for this Miami team in the half-court offense. So, yeah, I'm rolling with the Celtics in six. Now, you said you got Miami, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. How many games? What are you going with? It has to, it has to be seven. And okay. it has to be, yeah, Spo has to draw something up for that last game. Okay. All right. So I got Celtics, Tommy, got Heat, so we'll see. Um, but it's going to be a fun one. We're excited to watch game one tonight. Um, moving along to the series that starts tomorrow, the Western Conference Finals. Now, this one intrigues me more because, well, I mean, I guess they probably intrigue me the same. But first things first, no different than last series. 77 is by far the best player on the floor. Um, by far. No disrespect to anyone on the Warriors, Steph Curry specifically, but you, the dude's on a planet of his own. Luca is. Um, the Warriors do have home court, um, which I think is going to be big because they do have one of the better home court advantages probably in the NBA. But, uh, you know, Luca, I think the numbers won't change much because his numbers are already insane. But I think that Luca is an even worse mismatch for the Warriors than he is for the Phoenix Suns. Agree or disagree? I, I completely agree. No, I completely agree. And my reasoning is that the Suns have, like, Mikel Bridges, obviously, Jay Crowder, and although Booker is, like, not some great defender, he is a 6'6", longer athletic wing. Um, and, and even though Aiton has his flaws, it's a seven-foot body that's long and athletic and can move his feet a little bit even though he kind of exposed Aiden. I'm just, it's just like there's nobody like that on the Warriors. So the Warriors have Andrew Wiggins, good defender, but not like some all-NBA defender, not some, not some crazy defensive player of the year candidate or anything. Now, obviously, Draymond Green is a defensive player of the year candidate, incredible defender. But I really don't think we're going to be seeing him on Luka a whole lot, uh, truth be told. So... Um, yeah, I just think it's going to be tough. I mean, you're going to be asking guys like Steph, this version of Clay, Jordan Poole, um, Damian Lee's been getting some minutes, um, Otto Porter if he's back, which I think he could maybe do a better job than a lot of these guys. 
But um, that's going to be hard to ask for guys like Steph, this version of Clay, and Jordan Poole to guard Luka. Um, who do you think will be the primary assignment on Luka? So I think it should – who I think it should be is Wiggins, but who, who it's probably going to be is Clay. Okay. So I think it's going to be Wiggins as well. Um, I – I almost may I almost put as who I as this is who I think is going to be on him, but I I think they may start Looney though. I wouldn't be shocked at all if um, Jonathan Kuminga is thrown onto him for game one as his primary assignment, but um, we'll see there. And um, who who do you think will be Steph's primary assignment? Hmm. Maybe maybe Brunson. So you think Brunson? Yeah. See, uh, yeah. I know that I think it's going to be – I think Bullock and Dodo, Dorian Finney-Smith, are going to split a lot of minutes on him. Mm-hmm. But I think Bullock is going to be his, uh, his primary. Yeah, I like that a whole lot more. So I, I think – ultimately, I think that Bullock is going to be on step. I think Dorian Finney-Smith is going to be on Jordan Poole. And then um, Powell will probably start out on Draymond. If Draymond is the starting five, if Looney's the starting five, Powell will probably be on Looney. That's where I think it's interesting. I think that uh, Luca will be on Wiggins. And then I think that um, Brunson, if they start bigger, would actually be on Draymond. And it's because you're not scared of Draymond scoring. Yeah. And um, – so that's what I think they're that they're gonna roll with. Um, if if you asked me, how do you think that the Warriors will attempt to guard Luca? Well, first off, I'll go ahead and tell you this: nothing is gonna be necessarily effective. Okay. Um, but I really do expect them to blitz him more than any other team has. And Utah did it some. Phoenix didn't really blitz him much. Utah actually did blitz Luka some, and they were kind of of the mindset that the Clippers were to start the series uh, last year, which was anybody but Luka. But you reach a serious problem there, and the serious problem is that pretty much everyone on the floor for Dallas is a forty is a forty percent three point shooter. So. Um, so, obviously, we got torched off that those first two games last year, and Utah was getting torched off of it as well. Um, so, I think the Warriors may attempt to blitz him, but they probably will have to pull back off of it quick. Um, it's very tough. I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't. Um, thoughts and prayers to Steve Kerr. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um Draymond's going to have to step up a little bit offensively. Clay's going to have to be consistent. You can't get, like, two good Clay games and expect to beat this Dallas Mavericks team. Same thing with Jordan Poole. You can't get two or three good Jordan Poole games. The three of them are going to have to put together three or four games of all clicking. Yep. And, you know, if they don't, their life's going to be tough. Um I think Jalen Brunson is set to probably have a good series here uh, just because, again, there's not like these long 
defensive wings being able to cover him, or even though Chris Paul wasn't good on the ball, just a guy like that that was just really smart. I'm not saying the Warriors players aren't smart, but just like to that extreme. And then um, there's just no shot blocker. So a guy like Brunson that is really good at getting near the rim with good footwork, I, there's no real intimidation there. But on the flip side, that should be the same thing for Jordan Poole. There's no shot blocker in this series. There's no Jaron Jackson Jr. There's no Steven Adams down there. Jordan Poole was really good in the first round because he was getting to the rim. He was splitting the blitzes that, that they would bring up high or if they would show at all. Um, he was catch, rip, and going to the basket and creating. M more of that has to happen this series and for him to be consistently be good for them to have a real shot. So, uh, you know, a lot of things to be determined in that series. Obviously a huge thing because of the way these two teams play is as as simple as it sounds is who's going to shoot the ball better from three because both are looking to get a lot up. Um, yeah, I mean – that's that's pretty much what I got for that series at this point. Um, Tommy, what's your pick? I'm going to say uh, Mavs in seven. Okay, I have the Mavs as well. So I'm going Mavs in six. Um, yeah, I, th I think Clay goes off in game six. I think it's a thing in his head now. Okay. So I think the Warriors win game six. But okay. I think uh, game seven, Luka, is, is definitely a thing. <laughs> well, game every, every game, Luka is a thing. Yeah, every but, game, Luka. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going with the Mavs. Um, as you know, my prediction before the playoffs was Celtics versus Mavs finals, and I'm not going away from it. Um, I like what I see. I see no reason to go away from it. So I'm going to keep it there. And real quick with, we have a new award. It is one is the Larry Bird, uh, trophy, which is the MVP of the Eastern Conference finals. One is the Magic Johnson Award, which is the MVP of the Western Conference Finals. Who is your Larry Bird, your Larry Bird Award winner, and your Magic Johnson Award winner? My Larry Bird Award winner is Bam Adebayo. Wow. My uh, my Magic my Magic Johnson is Luka Doncic. Yeah. So my Larry Bird winner is Jason Tatum. My Magic Johnson winner will be Luka. And lastly, before we kind of wrap things up here. The draft lottery is tonight. So we're, we're pumped about that. Um, huge night for a lot of teams. Uh, some rebuilding teams will either find out if they're going to be in another year of a heavy rebuild. Some might be able to make a jump because of where they land in the lottery tonight next year. Um, some teams like the Pelicans, for instance, who own the Lakers draft pick, might be able to get an incredible asset to be able to even keep improving their team. Um, and then also you have your teams like uh, Portland. Um, trying to think of another one. Um, Cleveland retains their pick, I think, since they didn't make the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. Lottery protected in that Indiana deal. Okay. So Cleveland and Portland, for instance – Portland is planning on building a team to go back to the playoffs and do well. And Cleveland is obviously in position to go be in the playoffs next year, maybe. And so those teams might look to flip their asset if it becomes good enough. So we'll see. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here. 
uh, we're both going to be completely wrong because the lottery is crazy. Starting from three, who are going to get the top three picks? Okay. Number three, Oklahoma City Thunder. So they – spot note here. The Thunder have their pick, which I think is top three odds. And mm-hmm. they also have our pick from the Paul George trade. So that thing only has like a 7% chance, maybe even less, of being a top four pick. But still, another chance at getting a top five pick. Yeah, and then um, I think the Rockets get the second pick. Okay. And then I think the Pistons jump up, get number one pick again. Okay, back-to-back years, Pistons number one. Yep. Okay, we'll see. I'm going to say number three. I think I'm going to change here. I don't remember who I said yesterday, but I'm going to change. Number three, Houston Rockets. Okay. Number two. I think the Pelicans play spoiler with that Lakers pick like they did with the like they did with the pick a few years ago. And um I think that they get the second pick via the Lakers. My number one pick, the Indiana Pacers. I like that. I would I would love for the Pacers to win the draft. So that's the reason that I'm gonna or to win the lottery. So that's the reason that I'm gonna pick them. Um, some other teams that have some big implications here for in terms of maybe jumping next year, the Spurs, the Kings that we talked about last week, um, obviously Portland for asset reasons. A team like the Thunder, the Rockets, the, the Magic, the Pistons, they, they, they really need a top four pick here. So I know that those teams are just hoping to God that they can get them. Um, so, yeah, um, that's all we got for you guys today. Obviously, like we said, later in the week, we are going to do the Q&A. We're excited for that. And, guys, without really giving any details here, we have a lot of big things coming for you here in the next few months. So we're really excited to give you that here in the near future. Um, but, yeah, with that and, – and we'll see how these series go, and we'll touch on those series as well uh, in the Q&A episode after we've seen game one of each. But, yeah. With that being said, this is episode nine of the Coast to Coast podcast. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in like always, and we will be back later this week. See you guys. See ya.